Hey there. <laughs> Welcome to From Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Alicia. And I'm Charlotte. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to try and understand the impact they have on us as women in medicine and women in general. And you can find us or follow us on social media. So we have an Instagram and a Facebook, which is at From Skirts to Scrubs. We also have a Twitter, which is at FSTS underscore podcast. You can also check out our website if you want to learn more about our episodes, like the episode today, if you want to see our show notes and sources, and all of that will be at fromscursescrubs.com. Yeah. And if you like this episode or any other episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. And Apple Podcasts is the best place to do that. Yeah. So with that, let's get into the episode. So welcome to episode 28, everyone. That's crazy. (laughs) I know so many episodes at this point. I don't know how we got here, but I'm happy about it. So in today's episode, I thought we would wrap up our biographies for this season with one special doctor who pushed the norms of politics, medicine, and medical education in her time. This awesome doctor is Dr. Mary Putnam Jacoby. And in this episode, we will talk about her early life, her journey entering medicine in the 1800s, and the political ground she stood on that changed women's lives for years to come. But before we get into all of that, Alicia, what do you know about Mary? I don't know anything about Mary. (laughs) I've heard her name. I know she's very important. She kind of reminds me of like Elizabeth Blackwell. And like Clara Barton, like big names like yeah. that. But big I don't know history female names. <laughs> yeah. Great. I didn't know anything about her either before. So we have a lot to learn, basically. Okay, let's do it. So our friend Mary was from a family of success, to put it lightly. So her father was the founder of J.P. Putnam's and Sons, which is a publishing firm, which you may know today as Penguin Books, which is like pretty big publishing company. (laughs) Yeah. What? No. I did not expect that. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, obviously it's not the exact same company, but like, that's what like trick went down to today is now Penguin Books. Successful family. And her oldest or one of her sisters was actually um, a librarian of Congress too. So that's cool. Good for her family. Got some cool roles. So from the start, you, we already know that she was destined to be a writer. She's got a father owns a publishing firm, a sister who was like a librarian in Congress, basically in her blood. But with that, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. So let's go back to when Mary was born. So Mary was (laughs) born (laughs) As the first child of 11 children for the Putnam family on August 23rd, 1842 in England, London, which actually makes the day that this episode is released will be Mary's 179th birthday. Shut the (laughs) heck up. That's crazy. (laughs) I know. I was like, her birthday is August 31st is literally when we're releasing this. (laughs) That's awesome yeah so we didn't even plan that i know it was a happy birthday mary happy 179th birthday 
Oh my God, the big 179. <laughs> the one everyone looks forward to. Okay, so after Mary lived in London for a bit, her family eventually moved to Staten Island, New York, which is actually where she was raised and lived for most of her life. And at first, as I mentioned, she was interested in being an author. I said she's destined to be an author and she was interested in that. Um, and by the time she graduated high school, she was even published already in the Atlantic oh, Monthly her. in New York. Yeah, so very successful from the start. But after graduating high school, Mary actually was interested in joining medicine, which mm. apparently her father thought was a repulsive profession. Oh, <laughs> okay. I have no idea why joining medicine is repulsive. He said it was extra repulsive to be a woman joining medicine, um, which I oh. can't expect people to say at that time. But just in general, it's not that bad. Yeah. But either way, her family ended up accepting it and being like, whatever, like we're down. You can go to medical school. But there was a bit of an issue for her wanting to enter medical school at, at that point in time, because here it is. It's 1859. And there isn't a single medical school in New York that would admit a woman. Mm. Mm. So do you know what she ended up doing instead? If you had to guess. Did she go out of state? No. That would have been a great idea. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I don't know. She went and studied with Elizabeth Blackwell for a bit. Oh, (laughs) so she did kind of go out of state. Yeah. So she, um, she didn't really like go get a degree with her or anything. She just kind of like worked alongside her. It sounds like, and got some clinical experience and friendship from our good old friend, Lizzie. But then after studying with Lizzie, when she had some experience, she actually ended up entering pharmacy school in New York instead of medical school. Oh, well, she then graduated in 1863, four years after high school. And then when she graduated pharmacy school, she actually went directly into medical school in Pennsylvania. Wow. Good for her. But she graduated medical school in one year at the Female Medical College of Pennsylvania. Hmm. pretty baller. And I believe when we've talked about medical school in the 1800s before, it was only two years long. So one yeah. year kind of makes sense because even though she's awesome, she got her pharmacy degree and her medical degree in five years. Like it wasn't all rainbows and butterflies. Exactly. Mary had quite a few bumps along the way. So like I said, she only graduated in one year and this is because she pushed the school to let her sit for her like final exams earlier. She argued that her previous experience in pharmacy school and working with Elizabeth Blackwell and even being a Civil War medical volunteer gave her enough experience to graduate early. And honestly, she also just kind of wanted to get out because she said the classes felt very elementary in nature. Mm. And she found that her fellow classmates just weren't really at the same like level as her. And a lot of this is due oh. to the fact that she went to an all-female medical school. Because at the time, all-female medical schools were not to the standard of like mm. male medical schools. Which is why the classes felt so easy in nature. So they're very like right. just basic, not rigorous classes at all. She fought the school and they eventually did let her sit for her exams early and graduate early, but it kind of erupted in this whole out war within her medical school. And the dean actually resigned. And that professor who stepped up and became the new dean ended up being the first female medical school dean ever in the wow. US. Wow. 
Yeah. So. I, oh my gosh. The fact that it was an all female school that had a male dean. I know. I know. I realized that too. I was like, wait, wait, wasn't a female before it's a male yeah. overseeing this like bad education these females are getting. So yeah, new Dean steps up and thanks to Mary pushing the school to be better, but the fun doesn't begin just yet. So Mary finished school and moves back to New York to start practicing. But at this point she has a terrible realization. Mm. She finds out that she is in no way prepared to practice medicine and would need much further training to become a good doctor. And then this is the moment where she starts to realize like, okay, I need to advocate for better female medical education. I need to push Mm. for co-ed programs, not just single sex programs. And overall, like female physicians just need to be like held to a higher standard. Yeah. Um, Which I never thought of that before that like the female medical schools maybe weren't held at the same standard for admissions, even like for medical school, you have to be at a certain level, you know, of intelligence and dedication and things like that to even be admitted. And if they weren't requiring those same things for female medical school, like how is that going to push people in school to be better? Right. And like, ultimately when those people are going out into the workforce, if a male physician just knows more than a female physician, how is that going to instill trust in women working as doctors. Like it's not exactly big old mess. So knowing that she needed further education, Mary decided to look to Europe because at the time Europe was beginning to focus on the cellular and molecular side of medicine and like cures and things like that which were concepts that she had already studied in pharmacy school. So she had like a really good background on things like biochem um, that maybe weren't studied so heavily in the U.S. So Mary packed her bags and she decided to head to Paris and which is kind of a sick place to move for medical school, but she moved to Paris and began working in this laboratory for a while run by Claude Bernard, who apparently is like the father of homeostasis in the body. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Okay. Very random. But I was looking a little bit into Bernard and Bernard um, really was like one of the first people to have like the blind component of research put in place. He said that like having like a, like having a blind study made the research like more credible, which it does. It's a huge part of like research. That was cool. And he also discovered the role of the pancreas in digestion and also discovered a lot of the major functions of the liver. So that lab was pretty legit that Mary was gaining experience in. Yeah. Wow. Hey, Charlotte, do you want to explain to the peeps out there what homeostasis is? Homeostasis is like the point your body is trying to reach to be happy. Like it can like fall on either scale, like a like there's like a scale of things that could happen in your body and your body needs to be at like a certain spot on that scale to function correctly and not make you ill or feel ill. Um, so there's like lots of forces in your body that are constantly working to keep you at that like perfect point. Yeah. Like that's like the best balance. way. To, yeah. Easiest okay, way to explain thanks. it. Yeah. Um, so Mary's working in this lab, gaining more experience because she really wants to um, gain admission to a prestigious school of medicine called the Ecole de Medicine. Um, 
And eventually she keeps applying and not really letting her in. But after a while, they can't really deny her anymore because Mm. she has so much experience. Like she worked with Elizabeth Blackwell. She has a degree in pharmacy and an MD. She was a medical volunteer in the civil war. She's working in this really prestigious lab. Like she has all the credibility she needs to be able to enter medical school. So they eventually are like, fine, we'll let you in. And she finally gets in, but they still find a way to stick it to her. So guess, guess what they do to like, just make her feel like a little out of place. Like while she goes to class, do they make her take classes in a different building? No, I think she was only female. So that literally wouldn't work that. I don't know why I said that. Just tell me. So they would make her enter through the side door to the building. And then she had her own special chair in the lecture hall where she would sit in. So she'd like a designated spot. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yeah. Just to make her feel a little uncomfortable and out of place. But she persevered and she eventually graduated from this prestigious medical school. But her time in Paris was not completely medically focused. It was also very politically fueled. So the time that she was living in Paris was actually when France was experiencing their French Revolution. Oh, wow. Yeah. Les Miserables. Yes, Les Mis. It's exactly what this is. So, you know, Jean Valjean's up in there doing his thing while Mary's going going to medical school. Don't go into the light, you little bean sad well anyway so this is a very like politically heated time and atmosphere and mary like took some of that energy on and started to gain very liberal views and political courage and like a knack for advocacy that she carried back with her and she moved back to the u.s so upon returning to the u.s mary's career really started to go down like two major paths and I want you to guess what paths she, I feel like she got really involved in medical education. Did a she little not? bit, but not like super. Oh. Okay. So she barely got involved with medical education, <laughs> as I said, uh, and got more involved in insert here. <laughs> well, okay. So one has to do with her pharmacy background a little bit. So she got really into nutrition. Like as a science. Oh, I know. Oh. We're just random, but it makes sense. So we know she had a pharmacological background. So she really knows like the inner workings of cells. She understands like various mechanisms and just how things are broken down and built up in the body. Like she just understands like molecules in the body. And nutrition at the time was focused on like literal nutrition, as in like you eat food and they're like, oh my God, that food is broken down. And that like the products of the breakdown are being used for energy in your body. Like that basically biochem is the nutrition that they were learning about. And she got really into it and saw it as like, if you can understand what the cells are doing in your body and like how they're breaking down various foods you eat and things like that, then you can start to figure out diseases from like the bottom up of patients basically. So, oh, She was like, if you can understand the cellular level of diseases and you can like find cures in that way, which is not wrong. Yeah. It's like very forward thinking for the time because it's actually the complete opposite of what like Elizabeth Blackwell practiced. Just funny because she worked with her for a while because Elizabeth Blackwell really focused on like 
the social determinants of health of medicine and how like these external, yeah, these external factors can affect a patient's health and like, what can you do to circumvent that, which are both like super valid ways of practicing medicine, but I just thought it's interesting, like this very stark contrast between them. And what's really interesting about Mary's approach is that she ended up having a major role in the beginning of germ theory, which is when doctors, yeah, when, when doctors finally began to realize that you really need to worry about germs and especially back then. So you don't have to worry about bacteria and bugs and germs quite as much in like modern times today, because we're vaccinated unless you're unvaccinated and you should be really worried. But like if you're vaccinated, a lot of like the big boys are kind of gone. But Mm -hmm. during Mary's time, most of disease was infectious diseases compared to today. Most diseases are chronic illnesses. Yeah. Different things. So germ theory was huge because you could finally figure out why people were dying. It wasn't from dirty air. It was from dirty bugs on your hands going in your mouth. Mary was just like a huge advocate for this because one of her kids actually died of diphtheria. Oh my God. I know. Diphtheria is crazy. I hate diphtheria. It's so gross. It's literally like a gray membrane of bacteria that coats your throat and then you suffocate yourself to death. It's yeah, awful. It's, bad. it's, it's bad. so gross. Luckily, we do have a vaccine against it today. Um, so get vaccinated, friends, because you don't want to suffocate from diphtheria because um, that would suck. So that would suck. Mary had firsthand accounts of why germs were bad and really advocated for germ theory, basically. Which I thought was cool. Okay, what... What do you think her other career path is? It's more like female focus, if that helps. Childbirth and labor? Uh, kind of. It has to do with reproductive uh, stuff. Is it? Oh, menstruation. Yeah, it's about menstruation. Yeah. Yeah. So the second one is focus on menstruation and around the idea that women must rest while menstruating. Like we've talked about this a million times that throughout most of history, it was deemed that menstruation makes women weaker. The menstruation makes them unfit for work. Um, and a bulk of this belief in the modern era of the late like 1800s. So not our modern era, but the 1800s era mm-hmm. came from this professor named Edward Clark. And Ed was actually a professor at Harvard who published a book that apparently proved that higher education was detrimental to a woman's health. I legit, I don't, I can't. <laughs> of course. They said that. Yeah. Old, not, old not way great. Of thinking. Yeah. His, his book literally stated that school was just too much for women. And if they graduated like and got a degree, then they would become infertile was his argument. And this was, you're going you're gonna to love this. So the, his theory of why this was the case was that the medical strain, like having medical strain, using your brain, reading, literally just thinking, you know, things they didn't want women to do at the time would yeah. divert your blood and your energy away from your reproductive organs. And it would leave them shriveled and useless. What? <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. Yep. Our favorite old story of how, um, the body works as we oh, know. I love that story. That's my favorite. And while we're at it, 
let's just rest cure it up and lay in bed for months at a time oh and i'll wait for it oh no okay also this other man other than ed almroth wright who was the developer of the typhoid vaccine so a smart doctor or smart scientist Mm-hmm. literally wrote a letter to physicians stating that doctors need to watch out for the female suffragists at the time whose actions might be threatened by their psychological impairments that were put on them while they were on their periods. So there's a lot going on in the educational community about how women are just extremely unfit because of their periods, basically. Yeah, this is old news, I feel like. It really it is. is always so upsetting when it keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. Like, it comes back in so many ways. It cracks me up. I'm like, really? A new dude trying to explain like yeah. his version of the story. But what's great is that we have Mary this time. And Mary's like, no, this is crazy talk. Like no one else knew it was crazy talk, but Mary did. And she set on a course to prove them all wrong. So instead of just going on like, theory and like ancient medical ideas that are sexist, she decided to actually start gathering some real evidence and start doing some actual medical research on the topic. So Mary interviewed 268 women and recorded their health during and in between their periods. She even did statistical analysis on her data to help back up her arguments. Nice. And her study showed that the pain and discomfort that some women, not even all women, I think it was like a third of her women had like bad pain and discomfort during periods, but it just showed that the, this discomfort experienced by women did not have negative effects on their brains and it did not have negative effects on their mm. ability to think or their ability to be a physician or an engineer or whatever she wanted to be like, Ed is wrong. <laughs> like, like getting an education does not like it's not affected by your period. And I will say Mary was very conscious of her work and she even noted gaps in her research, which is always important in research, um, where she mentioned that she was only able to study like upper-class women who had the time and the money to monitor their health for her study. So Mm. she was not able to study actual working women because like they were working and she had, she was doing like a lot of health evals on these women. So that was just a gap in her research as she pointed out. And I thought it was a good thing to point out as well. Yeah. Along with her research, she also started to treat her patients differently than some male doctors may have to prove that they were wrong. And she actually gave a treatment to Charlotte Perkins, who was the receiver Ooh, of the rescue. The craziest crossover episode. Like, I, I know. feel like all the coincidences are just happening. I literally lost my mind. I was like, no, but yeah. So she, so if, if you haven't listened to the rescue episode, Charlotte wrote like this whole thing about how awful the rescue was. And she basically went like insane receiving the rescue. She did. Um, which is like, was a medical treatment where you basically laid around for weeks at a time, not doing a single thing, not lifting your finger, not opening your eyes and drinking beef soup. <laughs> but you also like you literally have to stay still like you yeah. can't like lay in bed you can't like lounge you have to lay on your back still and they feed you beef soup for months it's so it's disturbing awful. i don't think we really think about how messed up that is because i can really lay still for like a couple of 
minutes. <laughs> I can't lay still ever. Even when I'm asleep. I don't know. Yeah. So it was a mess. But Mary was like, this rest care is dumb. And she prescribed Charlotte mental and physical activity. And of course, saw positive results in her of course. improvement of her probable depression, which is what a lot of women were put in the rest care for. Yeah. So with all of her evidence gathered, Mary was like, all right, time to go defend her theories against those sexist people like Ed Clark. And she did just that. So things would come up like Ed thought that menstruation could not coexist with having a job because they caused similar strain on the brain. So like it'd just be too much for one's brain to handle if you were menstruating and working and thinking. And Mary Mm. clapped back with stating that menstruation is actually very similar to digestion. And when you ate a meal, you did not have to take a week off of work. So there's no reason a woman has to take a whole week off of work for menstruating. And I was like, dang Mary, look at you. She also called out other professors like Ed Clark for publishing papers that had no real evidence were only based on speculation and theory in sexist history. So she's coming with her like scientific results and saying, this is not the case and you cannot be publishing things that are not backed up by science. So she she was a legit scientist of her time. She was. Yeah. So then a, to bring it a little more recent, um, a history professor in 2012 who was writing a biography on Mary stated it. And I liked how she said it, that she was just trying to normalize the healthy female body during and with or without menstruation. She was just trying to make it normal to be a female experiencing your reproductive life. That is menstruation. And aren't we all doing that? Like we've talked before about menstruation and all the societal views of it and how we need to normalize periods and it's still an ongoing thing. And the reality of the fact is that menstruation is not even normalized today. So there are even modern obstacles of menstruation coming in the way of people getting jobs, just like Mary was trying to fight against back in the 1800s. So for a long time, females could not be astronauts because they were not sure how menstruation would exist in space. Many researchers thought that women would would experience retrograde menstruation where the lack of gravity would cause menstruation instead of coming out of the body to go back into the body. (laughs) And that that would be a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that I no, because the uterus is a muscle. That's yeah, how that works. Nope. And apparently this is a theory of like maybe why endometriosis happens. Like some people might like have some like internal bleeding during menstruation. Yeah, no, you, probably not retrograde menstruation in space. And then when they were like evaluating astronauts, <laughs> kind of funny, they actually found that women had a higher rate of not having medical concerns about entering space. So actually it sounds like the men were a lot more worried about having a medical concern in space than a woman worried about her period in space. She was probably like, it's going to happen in space. Like it's not going to be what's different than being on earth. But <laughs> for a while, they did not want women to be astronauts because of their periods. Wow. Crazy. 
And we already know like so much of research wouldn't let women in because of their hormones and fluctuating cycles and menstruation, all that. Also in India, menstruation can be taboo and bar women from working. And I found this one article that was talking about a Western state, Maharashtra. Thousands of women were getting their wombs removed at this one period in time in order to receive jobs as a sugarcane farmer and harvester. Because Mm. a woman without a uterus did not pose the same problems as a woman with a uterus, meaning that a woman with uterus had hormones, she could get pregnant, she could have like a bad menstruation where she has to take time off. And so if you did not have a uterus, then you were seen as more hireable. So like people were literally getting hysterectomies so that they could get jobs. And obviously if you need a job, you're going to do what you need to do to get the job. But it's just so unfortunate that to do that, they had to literally remove their uterus. And then of course, we know the same old story of in the US, so many women are said to not be fit for for the political life because of menstruation. People argue constantly about how a woman cannot be president because she might start a war while PMSing basically stating that menstruation affects her mental state and clouds her judgment, which is super not true. Mary literally created a study in the 1800s about this. Yeah. But there's so many modern like instances where the same sexist idea of women cannot perform in the professional world because they menstruate. So these modern sexist ideas are very similar to the ones that Mary fought the better half of her life against. That's not all Mary fought against. She was a huge advocate. So Mary also joined the women's suffrage movement to help advocate for women's voting rights. And she even stood in front of Congress at one point to oppose vivisections, which were which are live dissections. I'm not sure who they were dissecting live at the time. I'm guessing it was animals. But um, oh yeah, she stood in front of Congress saying like, this is not okay. So she had a very public life, which she dedicated to advocating for women's rights. But she also still had a medical practice because remember, she worked so hard to become a doctor. Like, what was she doing all this time as a doctor? Mary actually had ended up getting married at one point. Her husband was actually the father of pediatrics. So it's a giant power couple there. And I yeah, know. Dang. And then Mary opened a children's dispensary, which apparently is just a children's oh, hospital. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I know. The wording's my so wrong. Just now, I was like, oh, excuse me. Uh, is this like a weed dispensary for children? Or do they dispense of right? children? I was like, I had to Google it and it was literally like a place where children receive medical care. And I was like, it's literally a children's hospital. <laughs> I was so confused, but she, she opened, that's what they called it everywhere. So I had to include it, but she opened it at Mount Sinai in New York. She opened the, <laughs> this woman. I can't, that's crazy. She opened the women's hospital at Sinai. That's what it sounds like. Good for her. And then she was also for a couple of years, a professor of pediatric infectious diseases. And she also opened the children's ward in the New York infirmary. And then to add on to all of her accomplishments already, she also joined many highly esteemed medical societies, which was a very big deal for a woman at the time because it just helped elevate you even farther into the medical profession. So she joined the New York Pathological Society, 
and the New York Academy of Medicine, where she was the first female member in history. After a long life of achievement and just brilliance and advocacy dedicated to women and children, Mary ended up developing a brain tumor, of which she died of in 1906. So I know, but just wait, Mary, like she didn't get a brain tumor and was like, I'm done. By the time Mary died, she had written over a hundred medical papers. Cause like I said, remember she was going to be an author and she sure was. Right. And she even wrote her own case report on her own brain tumor. What? (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. Yep. It detailed the 10 years that she struggled with it. I wonder let me Google it real quick if I can find the name of it. She had a tumor for 10 yeah. years. So the paper that Mary wrote about her own brain tumor was called Descriptions of the Early Symptoms of the Meningeal Tumor Compressing the Cerebellum, from which the writer died, written by herself. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. I love the written from by which herself. The writer died. <laughs> Oh, that's part of it. <laughs> Literally better. What a baller, honestly. Like, that's amazing. That is so funny. Uh, yeah, what a lady. So basically, Mary was amazing. Um, she really lived a life dedicated to pushing barriers. She was a huge advocate for ideas in medicine that focused on like cells and nutrition and bacteria. She advocated for women to be able to do anything bleeding or not. And she even created places for children to be cared for. So Dr. Mary Putnam Jacoby was truly an inspiration for everyone who aspires to be an advocate for either a cause, a person, or really anything one day. That's, that's my story of her though. She had quite an eventful life. She did. She did. She even went out with a bang. <laughs> well, we're not going to end this episode quietly either. So let's get into the discussion. Why don't we? Let's do it. All right. So let's get into it. Alicia, what are your thoughts on Mary so far or at this point? Or in general. What a cool lady. In my notes, I just wrote, what a woman, <laughs> exclamation mark. <laughs> what a boss, exclamation Literally, mark. She just keeps throwing out great things, like one after another. This woman did not rest. I feel like she's this very sassy, like kind of savage woman. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's just how I feel. Like that's the vibe she yeah, gives off. Yeah, you're right. She was kind of like through your telling me about her history. Maybe I'm just feeling sassy and I'm putting it off as sassy. But at the same time, she does give off that vibe. She's out here like, I'm not letting people talk crap about women and be sexist. I'm going to change that idea. I'm going to get all these degrees so they can finally let me into medical school. Like she was like not stepping down, which I love. Yeah. And I mean, she literally titled her the cause of her death in this like hilarious way. She was like, I'm just going to end it with this mic drop. Like that's literally, so oh funny. my God, total mic drop. Um, but a few things that I thought were interesting were that what you were talking about, about her being a big part of germ theory. And I do think it's really interesting that she had this like micro approach to mm-hmm. health compared to Elizabeth Blackwell who had this like public health approach 
I feel like medicine or medical school now is very much, or like it for a while was also that approach of like biochem and like anatomy and all the like little parts of your body and the drugs and how they interact. And those things are all still very Mm -hmm. important. But I think recently, like a social determinants of health, like public health approach has been at least in my understanding, and perhaps this isn't true, but in my understanding of the ways that our curricula have been shifting is like more public health approach. But I don't think that she was wrong to believe what she did. I think it's really cool that she had this analytical research oriented mind and she played a big part in germ theory and like exploring. Yeah. I agree about the medical thing too. Like I still think in medicine today, you can choose to go like either route. Like I have friends who are doing research in pathology labs who are looking at slides of tissue, which is what pathology is for our listeners, um, to like look at diseases closer, which is like very microscopic work. And then I know people who are like working with like the relationship between physicians and lawyers and writing papers on like how the legal system plays into like medicine and things like that. It's just like super micro to like very macro, like size of medicine. So people can just kind of like fit in where works for them now, which is kind of nice because we need people everywhere and social determinants of health. Yeah. Huge. It's literally all we talk about in school sometimes I swear, (laughs) which is great. I know a lot about it now. (laughs) It is. It is very important. Um, the other thing that I like noted was what we were saying, you touched on it after I had written it down, but, um, the idea that periods affect your health, like your mental abilities, um, and how that still comes up today. And I mean, it literally came up like in the last or the election, like two elections Mm -hmm. ago, um, And I think it's just ridiculous that it still comes up because Mary and so many other people have literally proven that that's not true, but I guess old habits die hard or whatever they say. Yeah. This really hit home for me because I was watching scandal the other day. There's a female running for Uh, president right now. And she just blew up on camera because she was like, stop being sexist. It's bad. And I was like, yes, go you. It's literally Phoebe from friends, but yeah. I like was thinking about that, like writing up so the next day. And then I was like, actually, this is a great point to put in here. And politics is huge in this topic. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think something else that I just wanted to point out that I think is interesting, but also not our faults is like, I wonder who we're not seeing in this story. Her specifically thinking about her study and how she mentioned like, okay, I'm not I, I know that my study population is wealthy white women who are Jay chilling yeah. most of the time, uh, which was similar for like the rest cure idea was these like wealthy white women who needed to rest their minds because they couldn't do work because it was bad for them. And we're leaving out so many people and so many women, including like all the working class women mm-hmm. Basically, any woman that's not rich, all women of color everywhere. Um, And I think, and we'll never really get to hear. I'd be so intrigued to hear if Mary Putnam Jacoby's work had any positive impact on those populations. But there's no way of finding that out, to my knowledge, because it's just not, or maybe there is, but it's like very niche, very deep in the literature, you know? 
Like we'd have to go, we'd have to probably find like archives to dig that up. And we obviously don't have access to that. Like we are, we're not doing that work, but that's interesting. Yeah. It reminds me of like those, um, classes in, in college where you're learning stuff where you're like, I would literally never learn this if I didn't take this class. Cause it's so niche and tiny that you have to take it from an, you have to learn it from an expert who studies it. Like it's probably one of those topics. Sadly, yeah. I wish this guy, that kind of information was more public because I would still like to learn it, even though I'm not in college, but alas. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess like, it's also something I think about is that it's that so much of history is undocumented, mm-hmm. obviously. And so this might be one of those things that like, has, it just will never be documented or there's no way to like know the impact mm-hmm. because it's one of those like too many degrees removed kind of things like we could sit here and speculate like oh she helped this like she helped start that children's hospital and maybe down the line like that children's hospital served x and y communities you never know that's hearsay at that point well with that i have one question for you tonight and it's kind of like a devil's advocate question because it kind of goes against what i was talking about but um, I was just thinking about it. So like Mary argued so much about how women should be able to work while menstruating and that the pain and discomfort of periods should not stop a woman from working. But also like, what about the women who do experience high levels of pain and discomfort? And like, how should modern society like grapple with the idea that women have the ability to work? Like you should be able to hire someone, even though they're going to become pregnant, you should be able to hire someone obviously a horrible men, but some women do face really extreme symptoms with periods and might need to take sick leave or have bad days at work where they don't get as much done because they're on their period. And like, how do we grapple with like menstruation almost getting in the way of work for some women? Yeah, that was a hard question because it's very much like you will never find a happy medium Mm -hmm. because of course, like, I guess when I do think about it though, it ties into the idea of like menstruation doesn't affect your ability to think like mentally, like you are still a competent person, Mm -hmm. even though you might be not having a good day because you're in so much pain. Um, but like overall you're like no doctor, no right-minded doctor would meet you and say, like, give you like a psychological diagnosis because you're on your period. Like they should not because it's not like a continuous thing. Um, and like, it's not a mental thing. It's not, it doesn't affect your brain. Like this is just not that, but the pain can be real and debilitating. And that's for sure. Like I personally don't get really bad period cramps, but I know people who have it really mm-hmm. bad. And then I think about women who have like endometriosis where like every month their period is literally the worst thing ever. And that I can't begin to understand, Mm -hmm. but that's very real. And I guess my question is like, why do we look at, why do we look at that experience? And why do we look at pregnancy and childbirth and see them so differently Mm -hmm. in, in a way? Everyone understands that childbirth is crazy painful. Maybe that's a blanket statement, (laughs) but I feel like there's a good understanding that childbirth is very painful, regardless of like what gender you are, you like know that this is true. And so people are much more understanding about that. But I guess because 
we menstruate, like people with uteruses menstruate every month. I think it downplays it. I think it's like also a a wider set of experiences Mm -hmm. because like some people have really difficult periods and some people don't. And so it's hard to be like, oh, this is like a blanket experience. And then also I think it ties into the severe work culture that a lot of Western countries have Mm -hmm. where we work so much that that's the problem, right? Is that we have to take time off, quote unquote, because like you have like a really bad period pain. That's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of societal issues that are at play here. And those are a few thoughts that I had initially. Yeah. No, I think the idea that like periods are like a blanket, it's fine or it's not fine kind of thing is like almost where I like really feel for the people who do have really painful periods because I can go about my day and forget that I'm on my period. It's fine. But like, I also have friends who would not go to school in high school because it was so painful and they would just sit on the bathroom floor, like in pain. And I even like followed up with those friends and they're like, it's still like that. Like it's awful. And I just like wonder what that's like for a lot of women. Like I really like to hear from people who menstruate who do have endometriosis and do have really bad periods. Like how does that play into their like daily life? Because we've pushed so much and Mary pushed so much to say like that you can work on menstruating. It does not affect your mind, which even if you're in pain, it does not affect your mind, but it's still going to affect your ability to like comfortably sit and do work for the day, you know? Yeah. And it's so, I almost feel like women who do a really painful period, I wonder if they feel like pushback from the movement to say that like women can do anything. And feeling, well, I like have a really hard time with this. And like, I don't like being told that I should just be able to go to work and it's fine because like, it's not for me and things like that. So I'm just like, really, I don't have any first hand experience. I'm really interested to hear from people who do, because it's just the complete opposite of what Mary fought for. Not really, but you still got to do what's right for the woman and not, it's not like her mental ability is gone, but it's just different. It's taking into account all experiences and taking away like the blanket factor of it, I guess. And I was thinking about pain and the way that thresholds of pain, Mm -hmm. it's very complicated because I kind of went down this mental rabbit hole of being like, oh, well, some people experience pain worse than others. And, you know, we have to acknowledge that everyone's pain is real. But then I was like, oh, but there's this idea that women, depending on who you are as as a person who identifies as a woman, Mm -hmm. like maybe your background, you might have a higher or lower pain tolerance. Mm -hmm. And okay, like if you have a higher pain tolerance, are you just assumed to be able to handle your period? Mm -hmm. Like maybe, and I think like race comes in there a lot and like affects that. It's like, okay, if you're a black woman, are you just expected to like take it? And like, what if you have endometriosis or just get really painful periods? That's not fair to assume. And so there's all of these very complex layers in thinking about that. And, and so it's, I think that ties into what I was saying kind of before, but like, who are we leaving Mm -hmm. out for her? And she's right. Like objectively her study was true in that period. Her study was lucky that it incorporate the people that she left out too. Exactly. Because if there were people that she had left out that could have changed her study outcomes, I mean, that would never fly now. Or 
it could make it under the radar, but it wouldn't be a good yeah, study. Yeah. I really wonder if anyone who has an experience wants to reach out to us, we'd love to learn more about your life. We would. Yeah. Do you have any following yeah. thoughts, Alicia? No, but thank you for this wonderful episode. Of course. It was so fun. I'm excited to do another. I love doing the biographies. I think they're so fun to learn about these women's lives and the changes they've made to better women today and just like advance society and like push people to be better. It's really inspiring, yeah. especially when they're all doctors. Cause sometimes I'm like, like you're going to medical school and all you can think about is like treating the patient, which is obviously super important, but so many of these women we talk about in healthcare, like have lives outside of medicine where they have made other people's lives better, not directly through medicine, which I really love because that's something I would like, I aspire to do someday. I love it. Love that. All right, everyone. If you liked this episode, as always, feel free to follow us on social media. Remember Instagram, Facebook at at From Skirts Scrubs and Twitter, which is FSTS underscore podcast. And also check out our website, which is from scrubs.com. You can also subscribe and leave us a rating and review. And lastly, to end our episode, here is to the women like Mary Putnam Jacoby, who fought for us to be where we are today. And may we do the same for those who come after us. Yay. Thank you, Mary. Okay, bye, friends. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Mary.